Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift that you have given us of your word. It is far greater to us than gold. It is far greater than all the riches of the earth because it speaks to us about the way to eternal life. That if it is indeed true, then we have this wonderful gift of sins forgiven and eternal life with your Son. Lord, we pray as we look at your word this morning, we pray that we may be able to carefully examine it and understand what it is saying to us, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. And we pray that it may be edifying for us and your Holy Spirit may work upon our hearts so that we trust in Jesus Christ and have that eternal life that he promises. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, are you naturally sceptical? Are you sceptical? I'm sceptical about many things, uh, particularly I want more evidence for many things that happen in my life, and it can be from big things that I want further evidence before I believe the truth about something, or it can even be for little things that happen from day to day in my life. Uh, The other day I walked into the bathroom, and there in the bathtub were a whole stack of children's books. And they are not supposed to be in the bathtub. And so then I had to try and work out how did this come about. And so I naturally think of two little people that live in our house, a three-year-old and a four-year-old. And I examine the evidence and say these are children's books and the bathtub is low enough. And my wife probably wouldn't put books in the bathtub. So then I move on to these little inhabitants of our house and I ask them questions. I say, who put the books in the bath. And one says, my sister, and one says, my brother. And so then I've got imposing arguments. And so I then have to examine, okay, I have to be sceptical and say, now which one is the one that did it? And I look at other evidence around and I think, oh, and then I probe with further questions and I look at the expressions on their faces as I ask further of them. And gradually with further examination, I have a pretty good idea as to who was the culprit, who put books in the bathtub. But we're naturally sceptical. We shouldn't just take one person's opinion for something and just move on, like if I just asked one of my children in the house and moved on and said, okay, well, it's the the sister that did it or the brother that did it. I should ask further questions and I should look for other eyewitnesses and other evidence. We generally are naturally sceptical when it comes to truths that are being proclaimed. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at the truth of Jesus' resurrection and one of the first sceptics for Jesus' resurrection, and that is the disciple called Thomas. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, he is the first century, the first possibly Christian sceptic to Jesus' resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this passage, John chapter 20, reading from verse 24 through to verse 31. So I encourage you, if you've got a church Bible there, have it open to John chapter 20, which is found on page 1075, page 1075, and we'll be moving slowly through this passage in John chapter 20 from verse 24, little number 24, down through to verse 31, little number 31. And the first thing we need to notice is that Thomas had evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Thomas had evidence of Jesus' resurrection. That's my first main point this morning. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin so that you can see them as I move through the sermon. Thomas had evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Thomas was actually someone that you 
think would believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because of the evidence that he had previously and the people that were speaking to him about Jesus' resurrection. Firstly, we've got to remember that Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He's not just some random person that's come along and hasn't heard of Jesus Christ before. He's one of the disciples who's been with Jesus while Jesus was on earth and doing the many miracles and, and teaching people as he walked around Israel. And so Thomas had heard prophecies from Jesus that he would actually be raised to life. Jesus was a prophet, and he told people that one day he would be killed, and three days later he would come back to life. And Jesus had given many evidences that he was indeed a great prophet whose word should be believed. He had actually performed many miracles. He had fed uh, many people, from over 5,000 people, with just a little bit of bread. He had walked on water. He would even raised people to life. So if Jesus said he was going to come back to life, then Thomas should have been someone that was going, okay, yeah, I've seen that Jesus Jesus really did do some mighty things, so it's quite likely that he would be alive if I'm told that he did come back to life. And then there's the people that are talking to Thomas are people that should be reliable witnesses for Thomas to believe. When we see in chapter 20 of John's uh, gospel, we see in verse 24 who it is that Thomas hears about Jesus' resurrection. Verse 24, little number 24 on page 1075 reads, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. These are... Thomas's friends, he's been spending probably three years or more with these men, living with them and seeing their, their lives and how they live, and so that they are honest people. He's seen that they are people that he can trust. And then they come and tell him, we have seen Jesus raised to life. And so there's really no reason for Thomas to doubt their testimony. He knows who these people are. They're not some random strangers that are telling him about some profound truth. These are his friends. And they're talking about something that is very sensitive. I mean, what is the alternative? They have said, we have seen the Lord. The alternative is that it's some sort of sick joke that they're playing on Thomas. And who does that? Who actually says that when somebody dies that you care about deeply and then people come along, well, at least one person comes along and says, oh, actually, they're alive, as a joke to you. It's not very nice. Let alone 11 people ganging up on you and having some joke with you that that person that you cared deeply about and then was crucified, this terrible excruciating death, and you're torn up about it, and then 11 people come and say, oh, he's actually alive as some sort of joke. It's just not possible that 11 people that you really love and that they love you, you've seen them over the last few years, spent time with them, that they would do that to you. So the alternative is, it has to be, either they're crazy, they've all lost their collective minds, which isn't possible either, or it really has happened. But what do we see Thomas do? He's got this evidence. People have said, we have seen the Lord. People who are reliable. People talking about something that is possible based on what they've seen and what he's seen of Jesus' life and how Jesus was powerful. What does he do? Well, we read in verse 25. 
Verse 25 says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Which brings me to my second main point this morning. Thomas wanted more evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Thomas wanted more evidence of Jesus' resurrection. What did he want? Well, firstly, he wanted to see, which makes sense with our culture. And we say seeing is believing. You want to see something if you're going to believe it. You want to see some sort of video evidence at least, or even better, actually see the event itself. And what did he want to see? Well, in verse 25, it says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... He wanted to see Jesus bodily resurrected, but then just see that it really is Jesus by the evidence that he was crucified. And he didn't just want to see, he wanted to touch, which goes far beyond videographic evidence that we could demand today. I want to see a YouTube video before I'll know that it's true. No, he wants to touch. And we see that in verse 25 as well. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were. He wanted to touch Jesus' hand and put his finger in the nail socket where the the nail previously was and put my hand into his side. Remember when Jesus was crucified after he died, a soldier stabbed him in the side and the sudden flow of blood and water flowed from Jesus' side. He wanted to put, Thomas wanted to put his hand up into Jesus' side. Didn't we just want to see? He wanted not just visual evidence, he wanted to touch Jesus as well before he would believe. He actually says that, I won't believe, I will not believe it until I get the proof that I demand. And then Jesus graciously gives Thomas what he asks. And we see that in verse 26 and on. It says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So we see Thomas gets what he asked for. He gets to see Jesus' hands. He gets to put his finger in Jesus' hands, and he gets to put his hand into Jesus' side. He gets that evidence he wants. He gets not just the visual evidence, but he gets also the, the, the tactile evidence. He gets to touch Jesus. And then what happens as a result? Well, verse 28 tells us, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas finally comes to faith that Jesus Christ is indeed raised to life. And he actually acknowledges Jesus, not just as some great prophet there in verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God. A clear statement from the New Testament as to who Jesus is. He is God himself, raised from the dead. The question then is, that's Thomas, and was he he commended for being a sceptic? Was he commended for being a sceptic? He was sceptical about Jesus' resurrection, And is that a good thing? Was he commended for doing so? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Thomas was rebuked. Thomas was rebuked. We see that in a number of ways in this passage in John chapter 20. And we firstly see that he is told to stop doubting. And we see that in verse 27. It says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, this is Jesus. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. He's told to stop his unbelief. And instead, he's commanded to do something. He's commanded to believe. 
that Jesus has indeed come back to life. And then Jesus not only rebukes him with his words, he actually starts to speak about how others will believe without the proof that you have and what happens to those people who don't have the proof that you have, Thomas. And he says that to him in verse 29. Verse 29 of John chapter 20 says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is saying that there are going to be people, Thomas, who don't have the evidence that you have, and they're going to be believers that I have come back to life. And not only are they going to be believers, they're going to be blessed. There's no blessing pronounced on Thomas for what he has done in now believing. He's had all this extra evidence There's a special blessing that is given to those people who don't have that evidence that you have, Thomas. And so Thomas isn't commended for his doubting, for his scepticism, which we often are. It's it's good to be a sceptic. It's good to gradually uh, filter through the evidence. He's rebuked here for his doubting that Jesus Christ has come back to life because we've got to remember Thomas did indeed have evidence He had good, helpful evidence from the other 11 disciples. And they were able to then tell him that Jesus has indeed come back to life. Now the question then is, what is the lesson we can learn from this today? That's Thomas. We see that he had evidence, we see that he demanded more evidence, and then we see that he is rebuked for not believing the first evidence that he had. What lesson can we learn? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. You have evidence of Jesus' resurrection. You have evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Now, Thomas had some evidence of the resurrection before he actually saw Jesus Christ. And it's the same with us. We haven't seen Jesus Christ. We're in a similar state to Thomas. We haven't seen him before he got to see Jesus, of course. And we do have some evidence. What do we have? Well, we have the testimony of an empty tomb. If Jesus Christ was not raised to life, then his enemies would have quickly produced the body of Jesus. But we see no record of anyone in the first century being able to come along and say, he's not raised to life, we have his body. And his body was in safe hands. It was put over to the Romans so that they would look after it. They even put a Roman guard around the tomb so no one could steal the body. And yet Jesus' body was never produced. And that's evidence that we have today that Jesus did indeed come back to life. And we have the testimony of the women who found the tomb. And in Luke's Gospel, we we have that recorded for us by the historian, Luke, that these women are the ones who found the tomb was empty. And then the women actually saw Jesus Christ. And then not just these women saw Jesus, but then we have the other disciples saw Jesus as well. And not only the other disciples, but we have Thomas' testimony here as well. Thomas' testimony actually comes to us today, even though he was a sceptic in the beginning. His testimony is something that is very helpful for us because we see that it wasn't easy for people to become believers in the resurrection in the first century. Even some of Jesus' own disciples were doubters, particularly Thomas. But then Thomas becomes one who testifies to the truth which shows that it's a very reliable truth that Jesus did indeed come to life. If Thomas is ready to testify as a previous, as a previous skeptic to the resurrection. 
And then we have the testimony of people like the Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus much later on. He saw Jesus, and he actually records for us in 1 Corinthians 15 as to how many people saw Jesus, including 500 people at one time actually saw Jesus bodily raised. And so we have a lot of evidence given us today in this book, this reliable book, that Jesus is indeed alive and well, that he's not dead, but he is alive. The question is, is that not enough evidence? Do we need more evidence? And that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. You may want more evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Thomas had some evidence, but he wanted more. You've got some evidence. Do you want more? Maybe you want Jesus to appear to you. You say, I won't believe in Jesus until I actually see him. Or you may say, it's not just I want to see him, I want to touch him and see if he's really alive. I want to see where the nails went. I want to put my hand into his side before I will believe. You may want to make demands and want further proof that Jesus is alive. After all, you make further demands in lots of things in your life. I remember as uh, when I was doing medical research, uh, doing my doctorate, and it's all about evidence-based medicine in, in medical research these days. You need evidence for your treatment. It's not good enough to say this works. You have to show the evidence, and you get, you're, you're very sceptical about all treatments. You should be. And that's where people with vested interests aren't so sceptical, like if they're a pharmaceutical company, and people go, oh, like, you don't listen to what the pharmaceutical company says. You listen to what someone who hasn't benefited from doing research on that particular product. And we want more and more evidence before we will believe that something is true. And so then we go, why can't I make extra demands of God and say, I want more evidence before I will believe in you? as we make more demands for evidence from those things that happen in our lives. Well, that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. If you want to make more demands of evidence for Jesus' resurrection, you've got, you've got to remember that you may be rebuked. You may be rebuked one day. You run the risk of rebuke if you make demands. That's what Thomas experienced. He experienced rebuke. He made extra demands of God before he would believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And then he was rebuked. And you run that risk too. One day you may get your wish. You will get Jesus before you, bodily for, in bodily form, raised to life. But it will be on the day of judgment. And you may get rebuked for not believing with the evidence that you had. Jesus will not be happy with you just like he wasn't happy with Thomas. And unlike Thomas, if you see Jesus on the day of judgment and that's the first time that you believe that he is raised, there won't be opportunity to believe like Thomas did because judgment day is the end. That's when it's final. That's, there's no chances once judgment day actually comes and you will miss out on great blessing. What blessing will you miss out on? Well, the rest of the passage actually tells us what happens to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 30 of John chapter 20 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, that you may trust, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
What do you have if you believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and that you trust in him for your sins? You have life. You have eternal life. And that is a marvellous truth because we are all afraid of death. We are afraid of what comes after death. And for good reason. Because we know that we are sinners. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we have life. And if we demand extra evidence from God before we will believe, we run the risk of missing out on that eternal life. You miss out on being with Jesus forever in heaven because you want to make extra demands. And so you have to ask yourself this morning, is, what is the reason I'm not going to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Is it because there is a lack of evidence? Or is it because I've got my own bias against wanting to believe in Jesus Christ? We've got to remember we're all with bias. Any judgment we make comes with bias. Just like in my examination of the two kids about the books in the bathtub, there's a bias that's naturally toward, in me towards one, the younger one, as the one who might be more disobedient in this regard. But I've got no actual reason to say, well, of course, ultimately, it has to be the younger one. But there's a bias that comes out in me. Is there a bias in you when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What makes you think that you won't move the goalposts once you get the evidence that you seek? You might say, I want further evidence from God before I believe in Jesus Christ. But if you've got a bias, then what's to say you get that evidence and you say, oh, well, I still won't believe until he does this. People do that all the time. They keep moving the goalposts. So the question is, why won't you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it because if you believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then you have to recognise that what he says here in verse 31, you have to believe also that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, then you have to listen to what he says. And you have to do what God says. There is a God then. If someone has come back to life, there is a God. And that God is Jesus Christ. And I have to listen to him and I have to do what he says, which I don't like to do. If we're honest, we admit we like to do things our way. We like to be God of our own lives. But if Jesus has come back to life, then there is a God and we must listen to him. And that's not a nice thought. And that's a good reason, we think, for not believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But remember, if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you run a risk of rebuke one day on Judgment Day for not taking the evidence as it stands. There is good evidence that Jesus Christ came back to life. Is the reason you're not believing the good evidence because it's not enough evidence? Or is it because you're scared of the ramifications, the consequences, if he really did come back to life and you don't want to believe because then you'd have to surrender your life to Christ? Now, it's not a nice thought to surrender your life to someone. But let me assure you that you get so much if you do surrender your life to Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful blessing that comes. Instead of getting rebuke, you get a blessing from Christ. And the blessing is eternal life, as I've already mentioned. But there's a peace even in this life 
There's an assurance that you're okay with God. And there's a real joy that fills your life as you start to serve God. And let's face it, doing good is far more joyful than doing evil. Why wouldn't you want to do what is right and surrender your life to God and start to live his way? If you doubt that, then ask the members here at Moines Baptist. They love to tell people about the, the, the joy of being a Christian. How wonderful it is to have peace with God. How wonderful it is to have peace with fellow man because of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They are happier people. They are delighted people because of Jesus' resurrection. So do you want to be blessed by God forever and live with him forever in heaven? Then you need to believe that Jesus Christ died for you that at the cross he was taking your sins upon his shoulders and that he was raised to life. I encourage you, examine the evidence for Jesus' resurrection and don't keep raising the bar as you examine the evidence. Many people over church history and people even in this room have examined the evidence and found that it is good and weighty evidence that Jesus Christ did indeed come back to life. And they've trusted in him. Won't you join them? Instead of keep raising the bar as though Jesus has to jump over that before you will believe. Confess Christ as Thomas did here. Where Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then embrace what Jesus says in verse 29 where he says, Because you have seen me to Thomas, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And he'll be speaking of you. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet have believed. I encourage you, don't delay. This Easter Sunday, there's nothing better you could do than put your trust in Jesus Christ. Have your sins forgiven. Be at peace with him and know that you have eternal life. Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray to him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the testimony we have of Thomas. We thank you that we can see how he was sceptical and how Jesus Christ graciously gave him further evidence of his resurrection. But Lord, we do pray that we may not be like Thomas and not say in the face of the evidence that we do have, the good evidence that we have, that we will not believe unless we get certain things given to us. Lord, we pray that we may fear your rebuke for doubting the good and weighty evidence you have given us of Jesus' resurrection. And so instead, Lord, may we not disbelieve, but may we believe. May we trust in Jesus Christ for our sins, and may we have eternal life as a result. May we get to go and live with him for all of eternity because we have trusted in him, his death and resurrection for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.